you know, as Christians, we have to understand and, and be real with where we are. That's what we have to see first, individually. And what where our mindset is and what we desire. Airing the Addisons. I think what God is really calling us back to, it's those individual personal revivals in our own lives where we're like, oh Lord, what have we done? We have minimized you. Promoting truth, wisdom, and empowerment. As the church, man, we should be on the forefront yes. of making disciples, of indoctrination and godly things. If we don't train our kids, they will not be able to stand. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Erin Addison's. On American Family Radio, thank you so much for listening. I'm Miki. And I'm Will. And uh, we are going to have um, as full a conversation as we can possibly have. I know I'm supposed to be connecting here. Hopefully this will all work. I'm trying to do my connection for the the video here. It's a technical difficulty. I don't know how to explain it. I'll do my best. (laughs) Um, But anyway, we're going to have an incredible conversation because Patty Hidalgo-Menders joins us in studio, joins Will the Great in studio, um, to discuss biblical worldview training, um, something that is happening here. There's a part two, round two of what is happening here at the American Family Association. And one of the things that we want to look at as we talk with Patty today is not just critical race theory and, and not just looking at um, the rampant sexual ideology and, and sexual identity ideology that is pervasive in curricula all across this country. But mm-hmm. we really want to talk about the importance of parents. Mm. And I think that that if if we could kind of summarize and, and I don't want to be overly simplistic here, but I think if we could summarize um, the the face or what it looks like to protect our kids, we might have Patty's face just kind of pop up. Like, this is what it looks like (laughs) to be involved. This is what it looks like to be reading information and asking tough questions. Um, But let me make a formal introduction here, and then we'll just jump right into content. Patty Hidalgo-Menders has become one of the faces of parental protection in Virginia. Her unapologetic activism and public response to her local school board has catapulted her to national prominence Not only has she exposed critical race theory, but she's exposed the radical sexuality and sexual identity ideology in school curricula. And she joins us here at the American Family Association as we continue to push for biblical worldview training. I want to focus specifically on the role that parents play in understanding the attacks um, that are, are levied or pointed at their children and how as parents we are expected to get between our kids and those attacks. And in fact, Patty, it was your doing that that really brought you to national prominence. Let's kind of back up and talk just a little bit about that. Hi, Miki and Will. Hi. I would love to talk about this. It's been a crazy journey. Never expected to be here, but you've got to stand up for your children. Hmm. No, I agree 100%. Can you take us back to a year ago, um, maybe even further back than that, but certainly at least a year ago, where you started to notice um, just radical leftist ideology uh, infiltrating your kids' curricula? Talk about what you and other moms in Loudoun County, um, how you guys started to uncover a lot of this information that so many parents would just be unaware of. Yes, most parents aren't aware. And what what uh, teenager really tells their parents what's going on in the school? The COVID lockdown was actually a blessing in disguise. Hmm. We were all at home. Everyone had to be in each other's business. Mm-hmm. And parents were hovering over our children's shoulders, seeing 
what's on the computer screen, what mm -hmm. the teachers are teaching, what students are interacting or not. I was always like, son, put your video on, put your phone, you know, mm -hmm. get off a mute. I want you interacting. <laughs> it was a tough time for him. His grades suffered. His 3.7 plummeted down to a 3.2. You'll recall a lot of um, liberal leaning states were the last to open mm -hmm. and get our children back to school. So I just wanted to get my kid back to in-person learning. Mm -hmm. I would go to the school board meetings with about a handful of us. There's 15 to 20 of us that said, please, we just want our children back in the buildings, interacting with students and teachers. And a school board member didn't like that. She didn't like that we came to public comments. She didn't like that we wanted transparency on what was going on with our kids. And so she and some other parents' constituents created a blacklist. Mm -hmm. And that is when our eyes were open. They were calling us racist, white supremacists. They were mean. And that just fueled my protectiveness of my son even more. Mm -hmm. Because my first and last name, pictures of me, uh, the, wow. the evil words they were using to describe parents. This is parents. We've never not been involved in our right. children's education. And how did we get to this point, really? And so we in Loudoun County organized. Parents, just like me, said enough. And we started organizing FOIA requests, rallies, using the media to get our message. And that's when we uncovered critical race theory in Loudoun County. Hmm. So let's, let's, let's kind of do, let's, let's go in on that because it's amazing that it required all of these steps, all of this action from, from you guys on the part of the parents to even begin to understand some of the information that was probably just commonly disseminated um, in the public school system. Talk about what you guys discovered. So I was actually president of the largest Republican women's club. And I would share with my members, if you see anything in our kids' schools that you think is not right, just text it to me, email it to me. And let me tell you, parents flooded my inbox with videos and screenshots of what was happening. I mean, teachers, substitute teachers, they were all showing me this diversity, equity, inclusion, culturally responsive training, um, sectionality, like all intersectionality. See, mm -hmm. I don't even know the terminologies. It's hard to keep up. It's hard to keep up. <laughs> but the biggest one that shocked us all was an English honors teacher who berated this student to look at a picture of a white girl and a black girl. And ironically, they are twin sisters from England. It mm -hmm. just so happens genetics one mm -hmm. black parent, one white parent. The genes made one look a little more lighter skin than the other. And this teacher berated this student. And thank God this student was smart enough to record it. And the message was, what is race? And the, and the teacher kept saying, what do you see? What do you see? And the kid's like, two people chilling. And the, <laughs> and the teacher's like, no, you're being a, intentionally coy. Uh, be, be smart. You know, what do you see? And the student's like, if you want me to say that there's two races, aren't you feeding into the division of mm. who we are as Americans? Wow. And this kid was so smart. That video came to me. We had to edit it so the kids' names were out, and sure. it went viral. 
and we mm -hmm. just showed the proof of what was happening in Loudoun County. Wow. You know, Patty, I think one of the things that really kind of sets you apart, and I think one of the reasons why you've been featured on programs like Fox News, I know, I think Showtime did a documentary where you were featured in that. yes. <laughs> yeah, I, look, let me tell you, Patty. Showtime. Yeah. Oh. I, do, I do not like what they tried to do there, obviously. It's not, I mean, they, we can talk about that later. But let me say this. Let me, let me finish with the point. Hi. Let me finish with the point that I was going to make here. Um. I think one of the reasons why you've garnered so much attention is that you are bold enough to say the things that so many people are thinking, mm -hmm. but they are afraid to risk their personal comfort. I, I would like for you for a few moments to talk about the importance of parents risking their personal comfort. I mean, you did suffer some, yeah. but I think you would say the trade-off is worth it because in protecting our kids, we don't usually consider our personal comfort first. Well, Miki, my parents escaped from communist Cuba. They had no choice. They could not save their homeland. Mm -hmm. The universities and churches were shut down. Anybody that opposed the government was imprisoned or killed. My father made the very difficult decision to have his wife and children escape. And so I was brought up with that understanding of the incredible opportunities America has, our, our country based on our freedoms, and how it's our fundamental right to provide for our own children, to know what's going on, to not let the government or schools take over our children. Mm -hmm. Plus, I was also a single mother for nearly 10 years. I mm -hmm. provided for my three kids. I fought hard for them. I lived paycheck to paycheck. I know how hard it is to live here in America. But let me tell you, those two experiences led me to be bold enough to say, school board, superintendent, what are you doing? This is not right. And I empowered other people to come along with me. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. You know what I think is so interesting in all of this conversation, one of the greatest attacks, and, and there are many, but one of the greatest attacks, especially as you as a parent would stand up against the teaching of critical race theory in school to, you know, from pre-K on up to 12th grade, I think one of the greatest attacks that is levied is that you are a racist or that you are given to partiality, that you, you know, and I think it's so interesting even just to hear your background. I think when people hear that, it sort of throws them for a loop because they they would they would immediately approach the situation here is a white racist woman and she doesn't want critical race theory taught to her kids because of protecting whiteness right mm -hmm. but you go in and you say no this is about protecting kids this is about not mentally abusing our kids from oh i don't know 7 30 to 3 30 a monday through friday and you were able to do that and it actually encouraged other parents to get involved, didn't it? Yes. We used Freedom of Information Act to find out the truth. We found that this school board hired uh, an equity consultant <laughs> to push critical race theory training on the teachers. They kept saying it wasn't being taught, but we showed the proof. Mm -hmm. uh, we would... I would get, like I said, screenshots and videos. So for me, it was about showing the proof, sh asking how is this helping our children academically? How mm -hmm. is separating our children by the color of their skin going to help them write that college essay, uh, you know, apply for that job? Like this is just creating victims that, that they're guilt-ridden or 
they it's not a good conduit of of encouragement of teaching our children that hard work ethic that merit that their brain their heart that that matters more no what matters to them is the skin color so mm-hmm. in, in in Loudoun County where you are um, what all the work that you guys have done has there been change there's been very slim change in Loudoun County per se Two school board members, one passed away, unfortunately, and they put a moderate in there. One resigned, and she was the one that uh, created that blacklist. So we were glad to see her leave. Mm -hmm. Um, Loudoun County is a purple area. Um, But what was interesting is last year, our governor candidate, Glenn Youngkin, he listened to parents. He really supported us and our rights of of our children and their education. So we we he supported us so much that he won the election. We have a new Republican governor, Glenn Youngkin, a new Republican lieutenant governor, Winsome Sears, who's Mm -hmm. a complete incredible woman. Mm -hmm. We have a Republican Attorney General. Jason Miares, and we flipped the House of Delegates. We now have a majority. So I think with this issue of education, it became such a hot topic that it influenced voters. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, I think that is so important because sometimes we think that, and I don't want to say simply in a way that sounds demeaning, but I want to say this as a kind of at a very basic level, the protection of our children and the basic love for our children that God has blessed us to have can yield huge results. I think sometimes we are trying to grab for these um, these results outside of our families. But the results that you guys saw in, in Virginia, in Loudoun County, this really stemmed from parents basically wanting to protect their children. That's exactly right. You know, it's our fundamental right to know what's best for our children. It's not the government. It's not the schools. It's the parents, right? Mm -hmm. And so I, as a mom who had to fight for my kids for so many times, now let me tell you, they were embarrassed that I was doing this in the beginning. (laughs) But by the end, they have teachers going up to them saying, is your mom Patty Menders? Oh, my God, please tell her thank you. Mm. So I feel like the boys now support me, and it's pretty (laughs) awesome. I know we, we're going to grab this break here. We come back and we've got just a few more minutes to spend with you. Okay. I want to talk just a little bit more specifically if we can. There are parents who are listening who would say, I've gone to the school board and they assert they're not teaching critical race theory. I want to talk about some of the ways they get around this, um, that they are teaching it without actually saying that they're teaching it. So let's talk maybe a little bit of the terminology and maybe what you guys discovered on at the local level. This might be very helpful for parents. This is Aaron the Addisons on American Family Radio. We'll return with Patty Hidalgo Menders. Stay right there. to Aaron the Addisons on American Family Radio. We sure do appreciate you listening. Thank you for that. I'm Miki. And I'm Will and SCC Winans with Goodness of God. 
Today we are talking biblical worldview and also equipping families to protect their children. I mean, we cannot do any less than that. Mm. And it's amazing to me that it seems that this is a very basic approach, but it is also, I guess, the profundity of this approach. And when I say this approach, I mean protecting children that is seemingly yielding the biggest change in our country. It is parents being stirred and awakened to the fact and that's encouraging. That it is very encouraging. <laughs> you know, if parents didn't get involved, we would be like, oh, man, what's going on? So that's Can you imagine? Can you imagine um, so many politicians looking around and saying, wait a minute, it was always about the children? Really? Like, yeah, it's all, yes, it's about the children. And, yes. and, and don't touch them. Like, right. don't come for the children. Um, and who better to talk about not coming for the children than Patty Menders? Patty joins us. Uh, we are talking about critical race theory and her involvement in exposing uh, its content in her school there in Loudoun County in Virginia. And before we went to the break, though, I, I wanted to kind of um, continue to pick apart how parents can spot critical race theory in their schools. I know that there's much conversation at least if you listen to the liberals and you listen to those who are the purveyors of this um, theory, they will say there's no critical race theory being taught in school. I can't tell you how many times um, Kimberly Crenshaw will say um, it is a scholarly legal theory. I don't understand why it could possibly or how it could be taught in elementary schools to five year olds. And yet and yet it is. Patty, what are some of the ways that you guys discovered it being taught in your schools to your kids? Well, the liberals are really good with words. Yes. They yeah. yes. come up with so many ways to trick us into believing that they're not trying to control us. Uh, critical race theory might not be anywhere in a school, but they use words like equity, diversity, inclusion, mm -hmm. culturally mm -hmm. responsive training. They, uh, you know, we uncovered that the minority group that was consulting and helping this school board, they created a list of victims and oppressors. Come on. And, and victims, if you were black, Hispanic, woman, overweight, uh, disabled, oppressor, if you're white, if you're Christian, if you're a man, and what do I tell my children? They're on both those lists, right? <laughs> Uh, I, I mean, it makes no sense. Right. So what you need to do as a parent is you got to listen. You got to be aware. Your kid's not going to come home and tell you much. You got to dig. You got to know who your teachers are that are teaching their children. Go into the classroom. Take a look at their classes. We found teachers that were putting... What is your pronoun on the mm. classroom door? Right. We found that teachers mm. didn't have the American flag mm. in their classrooms, that they had the transgender flag. I mean, mm. there are so many ways as a parent for you to find out what is happening in your child's classroom. Wow. Patty, thank you so much. I know that there are so many um, activities and there are speeches and things that are happening today um, at our headquarters and you've got to run. But I just want to say thank you. It's such an encouragement. And, you know, often Will the Great will, will quote or and I'm going to do a bad job quoting <laughs> Billy Graham here. Right. But that when you see the courage in someone else. Right. Other mm -hmm. backbone stiffened. That yes. is a horrible that, paraphrase. That's pretty much it, though. But Cur that's the point of yeah. it. <laughs> courage begets courage. Yes, Absolutely. <laughs> and that's exactly what we are witnessing all across this country. I think it's so important for parents to take a stand and to do that without fear. Patty, thank you so much. We appreciate it. Thank you. Great to talk to you guys. All right. Bye -bye. Same here.
All right. So let's continue with the conversation, though, because I think that some parents are listening or maybe just if maybe even if you're not a parent, you're listening and you're trying to understand why critical race theory is such a big deal. I think for many people, when we think of um, the history of maybe slavery or racism in America being taught in schools, I think some people are operating from a dated premise. Mm -hmm. And that dated premise is that that history is being taught with neutrality. That is not the case. When you start inserting critical race theory, it is making an ongoing judgment call about the color of people's skin in real time. Mm -hmm. Willa Gray, and I, I wanted to get your take on this. I was thinking about how you remember what it was like to be in even elementary school. Mm -hmm. And you remember what it was like certainly to be in high school and to be taught history from a place that didn't cause you to hate people. Mm -hmm. You, you recognize that it was history, that it was not something that you were living right now in real time and that white people were not your enemy. Right. But that has changed in the way kids are being taught history, if you will. Yeah, definitely. Uh, You know, I, look, I went to a school that was predominantly black. Like it was all black. Like just, mm-hmm. But I didn't get the, the vibe that <laughs> are given out today in the schools, even being a part of a school that was, you know, all black. So mm-hmm. that was a way that history was taught. You knew you understood what happened, what went on. And it was history. So it was it was it wasn't any, you know, uh, brushing over what happened or trying to right. not teach what what happened. You taught what happened, but you didn't get this sense of uh, like, man, I'm a victim and I can't yes. do this and I can't do that. Matter of fact, what we did get was how we overcame. Like, you know, that <laughs> was on. that was the thrust of the history that I learned. Yes. In that we are school. not that country anymore. That yeah. that that is a stain on the history of our nation, but our nation living up to its highest principles looks like where we are now and where we hope to go. Mm-hmm. Man, and, and that, that is such an excellent point that you're making because I feel and fear that our children, if parents do nothing, mm-hmm. if parents say nothing, that they are being robbed of that delight. They yeah, are being robbed right. of that opportunity to both learn the yes. past, but not repeat it. Right. Right. And right. not feel like they're living it right now. Right. And learn the past and, and, and learn from the past and, and see how we've gone so far. Like how, how many strides we have made. You know, mm-hmm. you can learn about what happened in the past and say and recognize that that really happened. But you can also use it as a stepping stone like, man, but look at this now. Look at the opportunities we have now. So when we learned history, it was mm-hmm. more of that. It was like, yes, yeah, you look at things in the past, but man, we overcame, you know, Mm -hmm. man, look at all the things we can do now, all the opportunities. It was so positive. It -hmm. wasn't just looking back and then, oh, and see, that's just why today I can't do. It was none of that. It was none of that. Yeah. And it's it's unfortunate because the, the presentation is that this is going to strengthen our nation, that this will strengthen our kids But really, the result of this is a weakening of the nation. It's a weakening of relationships. Mm -hmm. It causes disdain. It causes contempt. It it causes a lack of trust. And I think that's something that we are seeing increasingly and, and so much so. And, and at such a rapid pace that people have normalized that it's become yeah. normal now to just be distrusting or to be a little bit skeptical, Man. to be a little bit not sure about the person's motives. And right. we now see that as normal interaction. And it's detrimental because I feel like the way that I was taught history in 
um, specifically elementary school because it was all black. Mm-hmm. It was from a, a place of strength. Like it wasn't like this thing of looking back, you know, and then lamenting and, and what I can do in the present time. It was right. like oh, a, from a place of strength that, man, you can do anything you can do because, you know, we have come so far. And so now it seems like it's it's reverting to a place of like, I'm still, you know, held mm-hmm. down by this and by this mm-hmm. system and by this where that's not true. You know, there are many opportunities now. Am I saying that things are perfect? No. But well, man, because you can, you, we're a country of imperfect people. But exactly. Go ahead. Yeah. But, but you cannot, you know, say to me that it's the same as it was in the no, 50s. Absolutely not. The 40s, the 60s. It's not, you know, and I, and and that's I think what there are some people back. There are some people who don't have an industry if it's not, though. Exactly. You know, you know what I mean? There are some people who are not going to be paid contributors. They're not going to be able to have any kind of commentary unless this issue is alive and well mm-hmm. and, and unless what they are presenting is true. Right. And so the, I think the, the reality, and especially from the Christian perspective, the biblical worldview, understanding the one blood presentation of Scripture, mm-hmm. understanding what God did. This is so important for us to comment on. It's so important for us to speak out because, look, there are people who are served personally by continuing the lie. Hmm. There are people. Listen, Robin DiAngelo, you know, and all all the people that make up sort of her, you know, all of her cohorts. Okay, this is how they buy their mansions. This is how they buy their second and third homes. This is how they buy their vacation property, because they are able to write books, which always I, I am. I don't know, and I've I've read enough um, to understand how Robin D'Angelo reconciles her. I'm a white woman, but I'm able to talk about critical race theory and whiteness because I am doing this as an aid to black people. I understand how she justifies it, but it's amazing to me to say that black people are underprivileged and disadvantaged ongoingly in this country, and yet you are writing and making money off that observation that you feel no, like, I mean, it, it just doesn't make sense. Robin D'Angelo has found a way to reconcile those things, but it just doesn't make sense. If you follow the logic of what she asserts, the way that we know her, Okay, she's like violating all of the tenets that she teaches by teaching this. Right. (laughs) And yet we can't say anything about it. You know, well, I mean, some people can't say anything about it. We're going to say something about it. I want to say one other thing before I turn to an article here looking at um, critical race theory and what's being taught in schools, because it's not over. It's not one of those things where you've got a few bands in place. You've got people looking more closely at uh, curricula across this country. No, this is still insidious. It's still ongoing. But one of the things I think that many people are unaware of, indeed, I was unaware of this until several years ago when I began my research on critical race theory. I have seen the interviews with people like Kimberly Crenshaw, who mm-hmm. serve as sort of like, you know, the the founders, if you will, of critical race theory. Um, they are credited, she and the late um, Derek Bell, with the development of this legal theory. Okay, she and others will say things like um, I was watching an interview with her not too long ago Mm -hmm. where she was laughing at um, the question of critical race theory being taught in school. And it was very, uh, very condescending. You know, Mm -hmm. I'm not saying that all academics are like this, but there are a few academics who 
you know, there are some questions that are just beneath them. And so she being asked a question about critical race theory being taught to elementary kids and high schoolers, she found that question a little bit beneath her. And her response was, you understand, it's a it's a legal theory. So it's a legal framework. I don't understand how something from, you know, um, a higher um, academic plane can make its way into elementary schools wow. or high schools. <laughs> but what she failed to mention that that I'm aware of and that I want to make our listeners mm-hmm. aware of is that one of the founding papers for the mainstreaming of critical race theory revolved around Derrick Bell's assertion that it was the integration of public schools that so wrecked black communities. Mm. So I wrote, I have this, I have this book. It is um, critical race theory, the writings, the key writings that form the movement. It's very thought provoking and very revealing um, what the writings are that formed and shaped the movement, which again, I have said some of us, if you're not mentally strong enough to do this, if the sensuality of teaching skin color based partiality would be too alluring to you, then you don't read it. Mm. But for those of us who are like, you know what, I need to understand what these attacks are and where they're coming from so that I can respond, then you need to read it. You need to read it and you need to give a biblical defense for why you reject it. Right. So in this book, I was looking at um, that particular paper that the late Derek Bell wrote, it was serving two masters. It was written in the late 1970s and he challenged school integration saying that it was harmful to black students. He was in favor of segregation um, as far as education was, was concerned and, and probably at all other levels as well. But the reason I bring that up is because so often when we think about what's happening in the public school system, well, we think, well, this just sort of made it, it it fell into our school system or it just, you know, I don't know how this got here, but the original design was to take a look at education and to say that the way we are educating kids post the civil rights movement has been detrimental to black kids in particular. What we need is we need segregation. What we need is we need all black learning environments. We Mm. need all black teachers teaching all black kids. Guys, when you understand that that served as part of the genesis, some of these current event stories that we're looking at begin to make more sense. Let me tell you what I mean. So here's a headline. This is from Alpha News, news source Alpha News. I'm going to read the headline and we'll get into the article on the other side of the break because I'm looking at the time and likely it will grab us. But here's the headline. Minneapolis Teachers Union the contract calls for layoffs of white teachers first. Yeah, I saw that. I heard about that. Now, <laughs> okay, <laughs> so people would look at that and say, oh, that's how in the world? Well, when the genesis of your movement, <laughs> the movement that is critical race theory, okay, the perpetuation of critical theory or the latest iteration of critical theory, it's not the latest, okay, this is an 80s baby. But when you, when you look at the genesis of this being an observation that, you know what? We really need segregated schools. We need black teachers teaching black kids, right? White teachers teach white kids. It only stands to reason that you begin to see the type of, excuse the expression, racist, but partial teaching or partiality teaching that's happening in schools. But then you also see the preference 
This this is not an unexpected consequence. This was always the trajectory. I wish people would understand that we were always moving towards segregated schools because one of the original writings that shaped this movement challenged the integration of schools. So the outflow that we're seeing today was only a matter of time. Mm-hmm. This this was where we were always going. Yeah. When we come back, we'll pick up with this <laughs> on the other side. Aaron the Addison's American Family Radio. We'll be right back. I am troubled, yet not distressed. Perplexed, but not in despair. Cause I'm a vessel full of power with a treasure none can compare. So um it is so upsetting to me, and we'll open the phone lines, get your take on what we're talking about, biblical worldview, um, specifically protecting our kids, looking at what's happening in the public school arena and and government schools and how parents need to be involved, all of that. We're talking critical race theory and, of Mm -hmm. course, critical gender theory and sexuality theory. Just (laughs) all the theories. All the theories. (laughs) (laughs) Every single one of them. Uh, 888-589-8840. 888-589-8840. I'll go back to this article in just a second, but just my thought during the break that it it is so upsetting and it is so unfortunate to me that there will be if 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 there aren't any outside actions taken that there will be a crop of black children who will not know the benefits and the necessity of strength um coming out of our school system you know some of the things that are ascribed <clears throat> excuse me ascribed to black children really bother me this this um this idea that there is a frailty to black kids that they cannot be educated in a classroom with white kids that black kids are going to be easily triggered, that, that um, you know, black kids go to school believing that they are owed some sort of reparation, that they should, that something is due them. Um, this is ridiculous on its face, and it is so unfortunate that if there is nothing done, then these kids, as they matriculate, as they, as they come out into the real world, then the purpose that was always the aim has been served, that is to create a different type of person. So you no longer have a strong person. You no longer have an independent thinker. You no longer have a person who, you know, um, can stand up and, and declare truth. No, now what you have is you have a perfectly formed victim. And this has been the result of years and years and years of indoctrination where you have you you have the kind of um, culture created right, that believes what Minneapolis is doing is right. So let me go back to this article here as we get the phone lines queued up, 888-589-8840. A Minneapolis teachers union contract stipulates that white teachers will be laid off or reassigned before educators of color in the event Minneapolis public schools needs to reduce its staff. Now, we hear that. And I think the very first thing that comes to our mind is that's racist. <laughs> like I, I could try to find the nicer words and, and we do. We try to make sure that we break it down and that we're being specific. But let's just reach all for the, the words that are easily accessible here. Um, that's racist. 
That's that, what we are talking about is a racist policy. What we are talking about is if I were a teacher operating in that school system and and I were white. OK, and I and I was told that, hey, you know, we're going to look at seniority. But after we look at seniority, we're going to be cutting the educators that are white and trying to maintain the educators of color. If I were in that situation, I would sue them. I don't know. Can you can you say that simply? Uh, is there a better way? Is there a more eloquent way? I would sue them for a violation of my civil rights. I would sue them without even thinking about it for a second. And and I I actually hope I oh, Miki. I actually hope that there are some white teachers who are hoping to get fired for this reason so that they can sue. Can I say that? Because I did. You just okay. Said it, so. I, I I really hope that this is the case. Where does it stop? Yeah. If people don't stand up and say, guys, this is wrong and, and there's no such thing as reversed racism since we want to define it. There's just racism. Mm -hmm. There's just partiality that what in reverse, like what even people who say that. And, and I understand what people mean when they say that. But you've got to recognize that when you use terms like that, you're actually legitimizing these alternative definitions for racism mm. that only certain people can be racist. So then when you say things like this is reverse racism, you're actually telling those people, Hey, you know what you said is right. Generally speaking, only white people are racist, but here you guys as black people are being right. This is reverse. You're, you're legitimizing those terms that they mm. use. Mm. So let's not, let's not do the whole reverse racism thing. Let's, if we're going to use racism, which I understand the people who say they don't want to, Totally makes sense to me. If we're going to talk about partiality, let's just call it partiality. It's not reverse partiality. If you're going to call it racism, just call it racism. It's not reverse racism. It's just racism. That's that's what it is. You don't need to be in a position of power to do this. Right. Mm. This is a sin of the heart. This is to show partiality is a sin of the heart. That's Let me right. get back to this article so we can squeeze in some phone calls here. <clears throat> All right. After the Minneapolis Federation of Teachers and the Minneapolis Public Schools, uh, the school board, on March 25th, they struck a deal. They struck a deal to end a 14-day teacher strike. The two sides drew up and ratified a new collective bargaining agreement complete with various proposals. One of the proposals dealt with educators of color protections. The agreement states that if a non-white teacher is subject to excess, a type of being laid off, okay, mm -hmm. then the Minneapolis public schools must access a white teacher with the next least seniority. Okay, so if you've got a black teacher or, a, okay, I'm sorry, a teacher of color, okay, <laughs> <laughs> which, guys, okay, I don't have time. Let me just continue. And let me just break it down in common terms here. So if you lay off a black teacher, then you've got to find a white teacher with the next least seniority and also lay off that white teacher so you keep things balanced. One of the things that I thought was interesting in this, uh, the information coming out of the, the Minneapolis public schools is that they've got 60 percent of the kids in that public school system, 60 percent are kids of color, while 16 percent of the teachers with tenure are um, are white. Is that right? Let me make sure that I got it. 16%, 16% of the teachers with tenure and 27% of its probationary teachers are non-white. I'm sorry, are non-white. So in other words, they're saying you've got 60% of the students that are non-white, 
but you've got 16% of teachers with tenure that are non-white and 27% of its probationary teachers are non-white. In other words, you need to hold on to the black kids. Hmm. You need to hold on to the black teachers, teachers. because you've got a lot of black but, kids. Yeah. Guys, I, I hate so, trying to make sense of what they're saying because this is ridiculous as if black kids cannot be taught by white teachers. So, so can I interject this? Because this was a comment that was made on our thing. Um, and it's by somebody who I, I know who they who uh, they are, but so I, I would I would believe that they're not trying to. This is what she says. Disclaimer: I'm not calling for segregation. Sure, but there <laughs> is some truth to what Derek Bell wrote. Black kids and communities have been negatively impacted by integration. The process of integration, mass firings of black teachers and administrators, etc., is one of the reasons cited in the research literature for the continued underperformance of black students. Mm-hmm. So look, so I don't have a problem with that if we make that as an observation, but I don't think we set it as a standard by now going through and and um, firing or letting go people simply based right. on the color of their skin. How is that right? <laughs> That's not right. You you yeah. cannot write a wrong yeah. with wrong. Right. Do you understand? So look, I the observations are well stated. The observations are well made, mm-hmm. and 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 that's that's one of the problems that I have when I read the papers when when you read their writings because you go, hmm, that's a fair observation. Mm-hmm. However, the solution you arrive at, I disagree with totally. Yeah, and I think this you person understand? would disagree with that too. That you yeah. go go across firing people. Another comment is Kendall Quells and Kofi Monska. Two Minnesota black residents addressed the issue of segregation in, um, I guess, Minneapolis, the schools. Uh, they were on Fox and Friends on Wednesday. So I, I think some people sp- spoke out against and they were black people who were good for them, which is which is great. You know, I think we have to do things like that when we see what's going on. We can't just be quiet because, you know, we are black. You know, if it's, yeah. if it's happening, that's, that's just be Right across the board, you know, I'm going to say something that may be a little bit controversial. And and I because I want people to understand that when we think about these issues, we have to have the ability to be able to think deeply about these issues. And honestly, we have to think honestly about these issues. I benefited uh, from having black teachers. Mm -hmm. Let me just say that there was a different understanding. There was a different connection Um, And being taught by a black teacher and maybe even understanding some background and some Mm -hmm. communication. And but can I say the best way that I benefited from being taught or by being taught by a black teacher was in being challenged. Mm. So so let me explain what I mean here and then we'll go to the phone lines because I think that this is something that so often gets overlooked. So it was the black teacher who said, is that that is not your best work. Right. Mm. It was the black teacher who didn't consider or think, oh, the frailty of the possibility of like this appearing to be a racist comment who said, write it again. Mm. Go back and write it again. It was the black teacher who said to me, oh, I'm sorry. No, ma'am. No double negatives in my classroom. No Mm. double. I don't know. I don't care who set the bar really high. Mm -hmm. The problem that I'm having with the conversation that is current, mm-hmm, right, mm-hmm. is that we need to we need to segregate our classrooms. And if we're going to have white teachers teaching black kids, we need to understand that there are just some things the black kids are not going to be able to do. We need to not we need to not push these white standards on black kids. And strangely enough, all of the white standards seem to be those things that at one time we valued and prized oh. in culture. How is <laughs> how? 
guys, come yeah. on, y'all, y'all, come on. Yeah. Keep right. it 100. You're right. We need to recognize and we need to be able to say outright and directly, yo, that's wrong. Mm-hmm. That's it was it was black teachers and white teachers who taught me and had high expectations. But it was the black teachers who said, listen. Don't even play in this classroom. I know what you're capable of Mm -hmm. without the fear of being accused of being racist. Mm -hmm. Right Mm -hmm. now. Is it good that it's that? No, maybe it's not good, but that's just the reality. So I'm not going to deny that there is some benefit in having a black kid be challenged by a black teacher. But that is not the only route to success. Right. Agreed. And yet we are living in a time where there are people who are saying that is the only route to success. Yeah. This is. Look, this does not prepare people for living in the real world and benefiting from people's backgrounds and people's level of understanding and people's um, cultural experiences in their educating styles or their education styles. You can benefit from all of that. And to me, it's just unfortunate that we're trying to create these little blocks or these boxes where we put people in and certainly where we put black kids and we say, look, because you can't achieve much, let's put you in a classroom with teachers who are going to understand that who can't challenge you, right? And 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 by the way, the black teachers that we're looking to put in these classrooms have bought critical race theory hook, line, and sinker. So what they're going to do is reinforce your inferiority, but just kind of do it from the same color perspective. Yep, they're just things they're not going to let us do. Guys, this is wrong. Yeah, We have to stand up. We have to speak out against it. Let's try to squeeze in a couple phone calls here. Will the Great, where do we go? Let's go to Regina in Georgia. Hi, Regina. Hello, how are you? Doing fine. Hello. Hey, I have enjoyed listening to your program today, and there are so many things that you have touched on that I experienced and I agree with, with, you know, the the uh, different teachers that I had and who pushed me and who moved me, mm-hmm. but that wasn't the purpose of my call. <laughs> sure. Uh, okay. I wanted to say that I'm in my 50s now, and so I school in the 70s and 80s, and I was raised and taught that segregation ended and that we are all one, and you treat others as you want to be treated, mm-hmm. and that you grow from your past. You don't return to it. Mm-hmm. And I just, I just, it, it hurts that it, it feels like, and you know, there are so many different people that live in the, in the country now. You can't just separate it by, by race. You have people marrying other people, and it's perfectly fine, and it's welcomed, and it's loved. And, and you you, you like mean Regina you mean interethnically right? <laughs> yes, absolutely. Yes, yes. Gotcha. Um, I mean, I have friends that are Hispanic and white. I have friends that are Hispanic and black, and mm-hmm. and you know, of course, Caucasian and Caucasian. But what I'm saying is, we all live together. We all work together. We all go to church together. Mm-hmm. And I don't understand why our kids can't go to school together. And yeah. I really thought that as I was growing up and as I became more and more and I saw my kids to go to school, I was looking forward to a season when everyone could go to school together and no one said, that's the black kid or that's yeah. that white Come kid on. or that's the kid. Right, right. <sighs> Regina, listen, I, I listen, I appreciate that point that you just made there mm-hmm. so much. This is where we're trying to get this, at least for the believer. Man, this is this is where we're trying to live. We are not trying to say that there are not differences or that those differences don't exist. But we we're trying not to lead with those differences. Like, <laughs> right. you know, what makes.
makes me who I am primarily and chiefly and of greatest importance is not the color of my skin. Please understand that. (laughs) What makes you, if you're doing life right as a believer, if you're doing life right as a follower of Christ, then what chiefly defines you and makes you who you are, the way you think, the way you act, how you tick, is not the color of your skin or the country you come from. It is the one you follow and whose new country you're going to dwell forever. That's right. right. Oh, I wish I had just 20 more seconds. I don't. (laughs) We're out of time until tomorrow. Lord willing. God bless.